0: Welcome back. It's Eric Erickson here, News 95.5, AM 750, WSBN of the resurgent. com. I've got joining me now John Ryder. He is a lawyer out of Memphis, Tennessee, the co-chair of the Republican National Lawyers Association and on the an adjunct faculty member at Vandy, teaching election law. And he penned an op-ed uh, a few weeks ago in the Wall Street Journal about the gerrymandering case uh, that was before the Supreme Court. And Eric Holder, going around the country now, here in Georgia and elsewhere, working with Democrats on essentially uh, trying to get uh, gerrymandering uh, ruled unconstitutional by the Supreme Court. Now, John, when I was in law school, I distinctly remember learning uh, in Baker versus Carr and others that a lot of these issues on gerrymandering were political issues. And it seems like courts have more and more decided that they can weigh in on the political issues as well as all the other issues.
1: Oh, isn't that the bane of our existence uh, in in, uh, constitutional law? The the doctrine of the political question, which used to be a barrier for judicial involvement, uh, has been uh, seriously eroded. Um, You're quite right. When you and I were in law school, uh, the political question doctrine was alive and well. And what that means, simply, is that on a political question, The courts, as one of three co equal branches, will not uh, intervene and interfere with the actions of uh, another co equal branch. And that prevented the courts for many years from um, correcting uh, malapportionment, uh, such as the the court faced in Baker versus Carr, uh, which of course originated here in Tennessee. Uh, and that started the process down the slippery slope. And where we are with political gerrymandering, which is uh, what the case out of Wisconsin, Gill versus Whitford, is all about, uh, is um, a question that first came up in the 1980s before the Supreme Court in a case called Davis versus Bandemer and uh there the court said well yeah we think you can consider uh political gerrymandering uh but we're not sure uh what you would do about it uh and how you would measure it and so then began the judicia- the search for a judicially manageable standard and that's the sort of the magic phrase. And there were two or three other cases after that where the court said, no, nope, that's not it. Uh, no, this isn't it either. No, it's somewhere else. And uh, the plaintiffs in this case think they have found the holy grail of a judicially manageable standard. <laughs> and they call it the efficiency gap.
0: <laughs> now, what and is we'll the efficiency the court-
1: gap? The efficiency gap purports to measure what they call wasted votes. So if you live in a district that is um, heavily Democrat and you vote for the Republican nominee and your candidate loses, uh, they consider your vote wasted. Uh, And likewise, uh, if you... Uh, live in a heavily Republican district and vote for the winning candidate, uh, the votes in excess of the number of votes needed to win are considered wasted. Um, So this formula is essentially what it measures is um, two um, redistricting techniques often called cracking and fracking, and uh, that is um, uh, cracking and packing, uh, cracking being splitting up communities of interest, and packing being jamming as many of your opponents in one district as is uh, mathematically possible.
0: <laughs> and this has been happening since Elbridge Gerry did it way back when. And but suddenly it's unconstitutional. Oh,
1: actually, even before that, well, well, yeah. even before that, there's uh, there is some evidence that uh, Patrick Henry tried to uh, redistrict. Uh, uh, James Madison out of a, out of a seat uh, but uh, but but you're right it goes back to the early days of the Republic and it, it, you know it goes back to the the whole concept of representation uh, and whether it, we have in this country we have single member districts and the candidate with the most votes wins that's that's our mm-hmm. system a lot of European governments uh, and parliaments, have proportional representation where you don't vote so much for the for the candidate as you do for the party and if the party the you know social democrats or whoever uh, gets 31.6 percent of the vote then they're allocated 31.6 percent of the representatives in that body and The fact of the matter is um, the efficiency gap or any other formula that is used to allocate representation or to evaluate the fairness of representation ultimately leads us in the direction of proportional representation. Uh, Justice Sandra Day O'Connor in one of the early political gerrymandering cases uh, warned against this precisely. She said that, any attempt to remedy this problem will lead to some rough form of proportionality and indeed in this case uh, plaintiffs advocated the efficiency gap as the uh, uh, magic uh, uh, formula and uh, then on appeal they sort of abandoned the efficiency gap and now they're arguing for a different formula called political asymmetry um, and all of this was described by the chief justice as sociological gobbledygook. <laughs> and uh, it is, you know, mathematically, it has the appeal, you know, the illusion of precision because there are mathematical symbols involved. Right. There, there, ha- there is the illusion of precision there, and it doesn't really exist at the end of the day at the end of the day, the application of either of these formulas requires an unelected judge to make a determination of how many Democrats and how many Republicans is fair. Mm-hmm. What, what's the right balance in the General Assembly? You know, should it be 48 to 52 percent or should it be maybe 47, 53 or, and you know, what, what's the right balance and then to the measure Democrats the outcome against the that predetermined uh fairness
0: well in miracles a lot and miracles. of problems with that you, 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 <laughs> a lot you of put problems a democrat that. in charge of the uh, a democratic appointed judge and i bet you i know what he's going to say versus a republican judge uh funny how that works now yes. gill versus whitford is the case and it went to the supreme court and it, my big question is as as we know these days in america um he, everything comes down to what does Anthony Kennedy think? And uh, it it seems like if I read the reports right, he really didn't tip his hand. No, he didn't.
1: Um, You know, as the senior justice, senior associate justice, he gets to ask the first question. And so he let off the questioning, but spent about half of his time um, asking the solicitor general of the state of Wisconsin questions about, Uh, standing, which is, did the plaintiffs actually have the right to bring the suit? A very interesting question, because normally in redistricting cases, Eric Erickson can bring a lawsuit if he feels that his district has been uh, improperly drawn, you know, too few voters, too many voters, um, you know, bad lines, whatever. Mm hmm. Uh, But Eric Erickson cannot bring a lawsuit because John Ryder's district has been improperly drawn. Well, this lawsuit was brought by a law professor, surprise, surprise, (laughs) uh, who felt whose own district was heavily Democrat. But he felt that his First Amendment right of association was being uh, diminished because, there weren't enough Democrats in the General Wisconsin General Assembly. So he's challenging the whole plan, not because of his district, but because of the overall redistricting plan. And so the question is, Can does he have standing to bring an action challenging the whole plan? And about half of the time, uh, half of the questions, uh, half of the time devoted to questioning by the justices dealt with that issue alone, Uh, And that, that again, uh, most redistricting cases in the past have been brought under the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment and have dealt with the diminution of the individual's rights. This case has this additional element of being brought under the First Amendment right of association, claiming that the plaintiffs have a right to have uh a certain <laughs> a certain magic number of uh like-minded citizens represented in uh, the general assembly and it, that's why this case is really about proportional representation it's not about malapportionment it, it's about driving the this country away from the single-member district where your representative represents you and your neighbors to a system where your representative represents one party or the other.
0: <laughs> well, naturally, a law professor brought a case like this. Yes, <laughs> right, of course. Oh, so, it, it, yeah, this is the world of pure theory. Yeah, yeah you know, I, I find that Well, having come from a a very liberal uh, law school, increasingly so, the the number of academic cases that they would like to pursue based on the theories they've come up with, reading obscure texts from Europe, uh, it it seems to grow in this country.
1: (laughs) It does. The importation of um, political norms from outside the U.S. uh, that are being used to interpret the U.S. Constitution is um, well, let's say disturbing. Right. I mean, you know, this is our text. It should be interpreted in light of our experience and our laws, uh, rather than uh, measured against the, uh, the European Court of Justice. Yeah. Well, he, I don't think their precedents have a lot to to say on the interpretation of the first or the 14th amendments
0: when do we expect the supreme court I, I would assume sometime after the first of the year um when do we expect this case to come out from the court
1: <laughs> well <laughs> well let's see wait, wait, wait what, what kind of crystal ball do you well, have? I, okay
0: <laughs> I, I i but i'm assuming we probably won't be waiting until june when they go home next year
1: No, that's entirely possible. They do, you know. There's a uh, there is a tendency for the court to defer some of these major decisions until the very end of the term, which will be the end of uh, June of next year, Um, or once they have an opinion written or opinions written on which everybody has signed off, they could issue the opinion. Certainly, it won't be until after the first of the year. Uh, I think everybody expects that the four more liberal justices will uh, um, issue an opinion calling for judicial intervention in the area of political gerrymandering. The four more conservative justices will issue an opinion or opinions um, calling for judicial restraint in this area. And Justice Kennedy uh, has a number of options as to the opinion he writes
0: <laughs> and he'll probably be the one writing it well john listen thanks very much for spending some time discussing this case uh, huge implications nationwide here in georgia and elsewhere uh, in particular and uh, boy the the 2018 election will be highly determinative i guess as we get into redistricting in 2020
1: it, indeed it will eric good to be with you thanks
0: very much thank
1: you so much